Hi, everybody. This is Jeannie Faulkner, and you're listening to Common Sense Pregnancy and Parenting, the podcast. I'm the author of the book, Common Sense Pregnancy, um, where I give you the inside information about what pregnancy, prenatal care, labor, birth, and the postpartum period are really like what you really need to know, and it comes from my perspective as a labor nurse and a mom and a feminist. Um, So that's that. We're going to keep this week's episode fairly short because it's been a rough week, and frankly, I'm a bit exhausted. Um, Here's what's happening here. In addition to my full-time job writing about a whole lot of topics for a whole lot of clients, I'm also like you, a parent, and I'm a wife. I'm also a daughter-in-law, and that's the role I've fully inhabited this week. Um, My husband's mother, who just turned 90, is nearing the end, and we made a last-minute road trip to say our goodbyes. That was a 13-hour drive one way, then we spent a couple of heartbreaking days in the nursing home, and then we had to turn around and make that long drive back home. Then it was right back to work, and I'll be working through the weekend and straight on through next week, and while I am 100% happy to have the work and the clients that I do, I got to admit, I'm just a wee bit wrung out. So my solution is early to bed and early to rise and do the best I can, right? That's about all we can do, is the best we can on any given day. Um, You know, I'm thinking about you know, motherhood and what it's like for older moms. Um, You know, we talk about motherhood and parenthood here on the podcast all the time, but, you know, most of the time we're talking and thinking about these roles based on our children's early years, like birth to age 21. We don't often talk about it from the other end when our children are adults and our lives are almost over. Um, My oldest daughter had a birthday this week, and she is a fully grown-ass woman living her own life. I'm so proud of her. Um, But, you know, it's really different than being the parent of a three-year-old or a 15-year-old or, you know, a little one. Um, Both my parents have passed away, and I saw glimpses of what it was like for them to know that their time with their children was waning Uh, My sister passed away after a long illness when her daughter was only 10 years old. And truly, there was nothing more heartbreaking than that. That's something no parent should have to face. You know, knowing that they're dying and leaving a vulnerable child motherless or fatherless. Of course, our family swooped in to fill that loss as best we could, but there's nothing you can do about that kind of heartbreak. So with my mother-in-law this weekend, most of the time she's asleep or confused, um, but I can see that she is processing her life stories and searching for meaning in her relationships and coming to grips with the fact that she won't be seeing her children anymore. And while she's certainly not 100% lucid all the time, it seems like she really does her best when a family member comes to visit. She was totally present at the moment when we made our final visit and without our saying that we'd come to say goodbye for the last time she totally knew what was happening and she was able to communicate how much she loved us that was really a blessing and there were tears and tears and tears and 
my heart breaks again just talking about this. I'm not going to say much more about this, but this moment in life underscores that parenthood really lasts a lifetime, even when your children are grown, even if your relationships aren't completely smooth, even when you're almost done. Once you're a parent, you're in it for life. And I really think that the relationships you have with your children will be, if not the most, but among the most important ones you'll have. And I think that the way you manage those relationships will impact you, your children, and even their families forever. That's pretty good motivation to show up with your best stuff once you're a parent. But again, you do the best you can on any given day. Okay, enough of the sad stuff. But appropriately, this week's email question is from a grandmother. Madeline wrote, good morning. I'm a grandma waiting for the arrival of my grandson. My daughter-in-law is 35 weeks pregnant and began experiencing what she describes as menstrual cramping. This began four days ago. According to the doctor, she is scheduled to be induced on December 23rd. Could this be the beginning of her going into labor? Oh, honestly, it's probably not, Madeline. Of course, it's possible that your daughter is, you know, experiencing um, labor contractions this early, but it's not likely. Um, you know, if she does end up going into labor at 35 weeks, 36 weeks, that's, that's you know, that's prematurity. But it's also a pretty good, stable age. Most babies born at that time do great. Most of the time, however, these early contractions and cramps are just that. They have a job to do, but it's not the job of labor and delivery. It's the job of toning up the uterine muscle to get ready for, you know, the Olympic effort that it has to put out in order to deliver the baby. It's contracting to, you know, nudge the baby down into a good birth position, which ideally is head down with the back of his head towards mom's belly. That's the ideal position. doesn't have to be that way, but, you know, that's what the uterus is trying to go for. And it squeezes and cramps and yeah, it's uncomfortable. You know, back when it really was menstrual cramping, the uterus wasn't squeezing down on solid matter. Um, you know, it was menstrual tissue. And as much as cramps can hurt, there wasn't, you know, a baby and a body that it was pressing against. And, you know, that's what makes menstrual, makes cramping and contractions during labor feel so intense. Um, so, um, it can be maddening and exhausting to have contractions that early on, but Lord knows I did with all my babies for weeks and weeks and weeks, and uh, they're doing an important job. No need to be worried about them or stop them. You know, if your daughter-in-law is having more than, you know, four or five contractions in an hour, she's probably going to want to let her doctor know. Um, but the chances that it's actually labor are very, very slim. Um, still, check in with your your midwife or your doctor and have a conversation. I'm a little concerned that you said she's being induced on the 23rd. You didn't mention why she's being induced, but it is super common 
for labor units to fill up their calendars with inductions in the days before the holidays because, you know, people don't want to share their, they don't want to share their baby's birthday with Christmas or Hanukkah or their doctor is going out of town and they want to make sure that she's present at the birth or they want their mother to come to town but not have to worry about travel on the holiday or, you know, whatever reason. Too many inductions are still done for non-medically necessary reasons. And, you know, even though it seems like more hospitals are getting the message um, that it's not a good idea, it's still happening. And it happens a lot for non-medical reasons, like it's the holidays. Don't you want to get that baby out? You don't want to have your baby's birthday be Christmas. Well, we know for a fact that Inductions, especially on first-time moms, um, they do lead to more C-sections. The studies have been done. The research is a given. And that's why many, many, many hospitals are simply um, not willing to do non-medically indicated inductions anymore. Um, Again, a lot, a lot of hospitals and doctors still do. The thing is, if, you know, mom's body and the baby aren't ready for labor, Well, for some women, no matter how much Pitocin they get, even if you rupture the membranes, they're just not ready. Um, Their cervix doesn't dilate. They, um, you know, are on Pitocin and having contractions for hours and hours and hours. And eventually someone checks them and says, you know, this just isn't working. And I think we should go and get this baby out. Let's go do a C-section. Well, of course, by that point, mom's probably exhausted and she's tired of being in pain and she goes for it. But C-sections are major abdominal surgery. And, you know, we know that when you have a C-section, it puts mom at increased risk for infection and hemorrhage and for placental complications in subsequent pregnancies. So we're trying to avoid it. If you need a C-section, well then, you know, by all means, you need one, you get one. But not simply because you had an induction because it was convenient and your body wasn't ready and you didn't dilate. I mean, that's, that's not a reason to have major surgery. Um, you know, it's often called failure to progress as in labor didn't progress or the cervix failed to dilate. Seriously, I think we should rename it as failure to be patient enough or failure of the Pitocin to simulate labor. Melon, if your daughter-in-law doesn't need an induction, tell her I said, wait for natural labor to start. Yes, even if it starts on Christmas, even if it ruins the holidays. Just let your body and your baby pick your birth date as long as you don't have any significant medical problems. Um, I actually wrote something about, you know, giving birth at the holidays for fit pregnancy about a million years ago. Um for the Ask the Labor Nurse column. So I'm going to read it to you here today. Missing out on the Christmas roast isn't the only reason people stress about the possibility of giving birth over the holidays. We get a common question. Do hospitals schedule nurses based on seniority? And if so, does that mean only new hires work Christmas? The answer? Nope. Everybody on staff takes their turn to work the holidays, so you can expect the same mix of new and seasoned nurses to be on your delivery unit unit if you go into labor. Here's how it goes at the hospitals where I've worked. Several months before the holiday season starts, 
Nurses put in their requests for which holidays they went off and which they want to work. I put want in quotes because many of us would prefer not to work the holidays. If you work Christmas one year, you can anticipate getting the next year off, but you'll probably work Thanksgiving. Sometimes nurses swap shifts or find someone willing to work a few of their hours at the beginning or end of their shift so they can spend part of the holiday at home. Even though most hospitals offer premium pay for working holidays, many nurses would still rather stay home. But that's the nature of the business. Hospitals stay open. Women have babies at all hours of the day and night, every day of the year. Babies, jeesh, they have no consideration for other people's Christmas plans. That doesn't mean some nurses don't love working holidays, and not just for the extra money. There's something magical about the births that happen on holidays. There's a special sense of glad tidings on the unit that takes the sting out of missing our own families. And there's a really special bond that forms with the co-workers you spend the shift with. Over the years, your co-nurses, technicians, and assistants become more than colleagues. They're your sisters, your friends, your work spouses. The people you know will have your back if a birth turns sour or a shift turns crazy. And when a holiday shift is mellow and the babies are sweet and healthy, you'd be hard-pressed to find anywhere else with the same kind of magic. Maybe there was a bit of that magic in a manger somewhere long, long ago. So if your labor starts on a holiday, don't worry that you'll be attended by brand new nurses or resentful staff. Know that you'll be cared for by a team of professionals who, over the years, have become a family. Know that they consider working the holiday a form of service that they're honored to provide. Sure, they wish they were with their kids or husbands or parents, but your nurses, doctors, and midwives are also honored to be spending the day with you, welcoming your new baby into your family. Happy holidays. That's about it for this week's folks, except for one last thing. I am really excited to announce that I am also going to be hosting a brand new podcast for CARE, the global humanitarian organization I've worked with for years. It's called the CARE Action Podcast, and you can find it on iTunes. Give it a listen. I promise it'll soothe your fears about what's to come in the new presidential administration. And then consider joining the CARE Action Network to advocate with me for the changes we want to see our country make going forward. That's all for this week. Common Sense Pregnancy and Parenthood is produced in Portland, Oregon by Alex Ward at Sounds Like Pictures Studios. You can learn more about me on genefaulkner.com. Go pick up a copy of my book, Common Sense Pregnancy, everywhere books are sold, and give it to everybody on your gift list. Sure, give your uncle a copy. He could learn a few things, right? Thanks for listening, everyone. Let's talk next week.